Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are talking about every episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. And I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the third episode of season five of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Carolyn Bonnyman and directed by Cherie Folkson. We have not seen Cherie Folkson directing an episode of Call the Midwife before, but we will see her again. This is her first but not last episode. And Carolyn Bonnyman we last saw as a writer uh in season four, she wrote the episode with the Christian scientists and the uh, uh, woman who has diphtheria. Mm, interesting. So just like one little bit of like she <laughs> obviously is interested in or they or what they give her or whatever. The like infectious diseases, weird infectious diseases. It is interesting to see these uh the writers I mean, we pay attention to which writers write write which episodes because clearly like they give or they choose to write about certain things so it's uh so this woman writes about infectious diseases other people are more focused on Trixie as a character or it's just it's it, it is interesting now to like pay attention to those writers yeah I like, the, the, I like that we mentioned that Harriet Warner likes to see Sister Evangelina in distress and uh, Carolyn Bonnyman likes uh, diphtheria and typhoid <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right let's get into the recap go ahead mature Jenny narrates about people in the East End moving in to the big buildings but others staying in the tenements. We see one such place with children running around. A big group of children get sandwiches from Meg, grandmother to Jeanette, who is currently delivering her first child with Patsy to help. When the child is born, Meg runs around telling everyone about her great-granddaughter, including an older man named Stan. Barbara returns home to Nanatis, meeting Tom on the street. He invites her to, to a dinner he's won at an Indian restaurant. Sister Winifred helps teach first aid in a classroom, helping the teacher, Miss Dorothy Whitmore, when she faints after class. After an exam, Sister Winifred asks if she's pregnant, which is then confirmed by Dr. Turner. Unfortunately, Dorothy also confesses that the father of the child is a married man. Delia moves into Sister Mary Cynthia's old room, and Patsy is enthusiastic to help her move in. Trixie mourns her lack of going out with Barbara and Phyllis, and Barbara tries to bring up Tom, but it's awkward. So, it is a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, but let's just talk about Delia moving in to Nanatus in this episode. Yeah, it's very brief, and we don't really see her otherwise in this episode. I wonder if maybe a little bit was cut, but either way... Yay, Delia's moving in, and Patsy is very excited. Last we saw this little plot thread, Delia was going to be kind of forced mostly against her will, but partly out of her will of guilt to move back to Wales. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sister Julianne convinced Delia's mother that Delia could live at Nonatus, and we see her moving in. So this is just moving that forward. That did happen, mm -hmm. is all really this moment is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the three main strands for the rest of the episode are Meg and the Tenements, Barbara and her, like, continued flirtiness with Tom, and uh, Sister Winifred and Miss Whitmore. Which do you want to talk about first? Um, let's talk about the, the tenements, because that's the, the beginning of the episode is Mature Jenny narrating about these tenements. So this was this was a time when they were shutting down some of the poor uh, buildings that had been in the East End forever, uh, because they, as, as we see in this uh, little sequence, they have like a communal bathroom, they're run down and so the government is building these big high rises and people are getting moved into them uh but 
some people, of course, want to stay in these kind of communal living. These high-rises of, like, apartments are not nearly as community-centric and friendly as uh, these tenements with the laundry hanging outside and everyone in each other's business. So while we do love the, like, new modern things, we also, this is a real loss for the East End. And that's really the crux of what this show is all about. It feels like it's a theme especially in like it's really developing as a theme in season five and it wasn't it's been all through but i feel like they're pushing it more in season five as a theme through the whole season of like modernization and the uh um mixed blessing that that is Mm -hmm. that we had a lot uh in previous seasons we often talk about like the nhs and modernizing medicine and hooray for modernization Mm -hmm. i feel like in season five we're uh more than we have been really focusing on the like but there's a loss that comes with that also yeah and so we saw that with uh the docks and and things coming in and modernization in the last episode as like bringing the world to our door and and all what we talked about last episode about uh formula being like hooray for formula but also it is capitalism but also hooray for formula Mm -hmm. and here it's too it's like the high rises the voiceover i i like went back and listened to it more than once because it felt to me like the voiceover started in the middle of a sentence Mm. because she's like not everyone moved into those houses in the sky and i'm like what houses in the sky what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) but uh she's talking about the high rises and like um clean modern apartments that are like i think the show's ultimate perspective is that is better to modernize but we start off with like people resist it and here's why and it's for reasons like they're with their family and uh meg talks through this section and she will continue through the episode about like i always lived with my family i've always lived in the same place i've Mm -hmm. never lived alone my whole life uh she walks through the tenement and like every person is excited about her great like everyone she knows is a cousin or a relative and or a close friend from childhood Mm -hmm. and she uh is surrounded by people that are her community that uh i mean the the moment of she has this huge plate of jam sandwiches and a kid runs in who isn't her kid who she's just like or who isn't her family uh we read in subtext and she's like, oh, go on, right? In this sense of, like, there is something very attractive about Mm -hmm. this, like, no doors are locked, kids are welcome everywhere, there's affection and comfort and familiarity among all the neighbors and all the cousins, and, like, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I, um, on a side note about this uh, Meg and Jeanette, Jeanette, if you, like me, recognized her <laughs> and were like, where is she from? Uh, she's Eloise Bridgerton from the Bridgerton show, which I find really funny that here she is like several years ago playing like pregnant married mom. And then in Bridgerton, she's very young, inexperienced, you know, yeah. just shows how actresses can play all kinds of ages. <laughs> yeah, she's supposed to be like definitely early teens. She hasn't come out yet, right? Yeah, exactly. So the other the other thing in this episode, the two uh, pregnant women plots are this one with Jeanette giving birth right at the beginning of the episode, and then we have Sister Winifred's is in a classroom and the teacher mm-hmm. faints because she's pregnant, but she's unmarried, and it turns out that she's been uh, the affair partner of a married man. This is like, is this the first time if? If it isn't, I had forgotten. Is this the first time we know that Sister Winifred used to be a teacher? No, we knew that when we first met her. She talked about, like, picking knits out of children's right, hair right, and other right. things like that. So, yeah, we do know that she used to be a teacher. But we see her in the classroom yeah. and, like, clearly enjoying it. Sister Winifred is uh, uh, relentlessly optimistic, usually. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, having a great time being in the classroom. And we also see... In this little section, and we'll see through the whole episode, like, a sense of uh, potential, real potential camaraderie and friendship between her and Miss Whitmore more than just, like, she's another woman in the community, 
or she's another person in the community that Sister Winifred is serving, they like relate to each other. We see that in this little conversation about like, I love teaching, I miss Mm -hmm. the children. And that's, uh, I mean, I'm jumping ahead in my mind a little, but that's going to continue to matter to Sister Winifred. Like she sees Miss Whitmore as like an alternate version of herself, Mm -hmm. clearly. Mm -hmm. And so when Miss Whitmore confesses that the boyfriend or, you know, father of her child is a married man, Sister Winifred is instantly like, oh, and shocked and silent. And if you know Sister Winifred as we have, she is extremely talkative and gregarious. And so to have her uh, suddenly be quiet is a glimpse into her mental state as well. Yeah. And I like that this is a episode where we're getting to know Sister Winifred and seeing the layers to her that we haven't before. And we've also like that exchange uh, in when Dr. Turner is there with sis- with um, Miss Whitmore and he's like, your um, fiance. <laughs> and she's like, he's not my fiance. Oh, well, that won't affect the care you get here. Mm-hmm. I feel like that whole exchange was we're five seasons in. We've seen many unmarried mothers yeah. and it was like we've rarely seen as much even from dr turner like assumption and judgment and he's like well that won't affect the care you get here and i believe him but also like that is kind of judgmental way of phrasing it in a way that feels uh very plausible for the 60s but also feels like we haven't seen much of that from the doctors and Hmm. nurses and midwives in this show before once or twice but like I feel like we are immediately in this episode setting up like, oh, this time we're kind of not okay with it. It's interesting. I feel like there's maybe a, because she's in a career Mm -hmm. and a, you know, respected member of the community, therefore uh, there's more judgment than if she was like a teenager. Yep. Like uh, the girl with diabetes in the, you know, a few episodes ago. Yeah didn't quite have the same judgment. Yeah, for sure. Which is really interesting that, you know, the the bigger you are, the farther you fall type of situation. Yeah, I think that is absolutely what is going on here. That, like, because she's a teacher and she's professional and she's, like, uh, they don't think of her... Because they don't think of her as desperate in any way. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they're more judgmental of the... What they see compared to both teenagers and also, like, uh, women in extreme poverty or extreme uh, duress, they Mm -hmm. see them as having fewer choices. And so they see Miss Whitmore as having choices and making bad ones, Mm -hmm. right? And I think, again, I'm jumping a little, but uh, Sister Winifred will say that outright by the end of the episode. But we see it even in Dr. Turner here, Mm -hmm. I think, a hint of it anyway. Yeah. Though I think he's kind. Yes, I, I think so. I think he is kind. I just think the, in the writing, maybe, that, like, they're making more of a big deal about it than they often do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not that big a deal <laughs> as far as it could be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Barbara and so Tom Barbara and the Indian and restaurant? <laughs> um, I mean, we've seen the flirting up until this point, clearly. Mm-hmm. And we've seen... What Barbara hasn't, the camera, and we as the audience, have seen Trixie observing it. Yes. We, Trixie does know on some level that Tom likes Barbara and that Barbara likes Tom. Yeah. And, uh, and Tom is, uh, this is like the first time of like real pursuit, you know? This is not a flirtatious thing. This is him... You know, he has these ill-gotten gains from gambling, which is so funny. <laughs> and he's going to use them on a date a date with Barbara. And I think uh, later on, Barbara will question whether it's a date or not. But it is, I think it's pretty clear from the beginning that this is him asking her out on a date. And that is a big step forward in their relationship. He has like a minor amount of... Of plausible deniability to save his feelings, but only a tiny amount. Yeah, exactly. Like, even... Yeah. He's clearly asking her out on a date, and she's... I, it's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, Trixie is actually barely in this episode. She's in it kind of 
she's talked about and you'll kind of see her in and out of scenes but in terms of plot she doesn't really have much of one in this episode uh, aside from kind of mourning that she's not going out with anyone mourning that she's not out on the town the way she used to be she has one of my favorite lines in the episode it's like i'm i'm turning into a middle-aged spinster (laughs) and phyllis is like a fate worse than death i'm sure yeah exactly like thanks a lot (laughs) so it's phyllis and it's not even a back and forth like trixie Mm -hmm. is like oh he yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) whoops i love it yeah exactly um all right so we move on to the next recap go dorothy tells the father of her baby jeremy about the pregnancy and he tries to insist that she have an abortion her landlady finds her antenatal pamphlet and iron pills and kicks her out of the house patsy visits jeanette and finds her very ill and suspects typhoid patsy is quarantined from midwifery Barbara confides in Phyllis about Tom and hesitates to tell Trixie. Fred talks about his second marriage to Tom. Dorothy wanders the street until she comes to Nottis, where Sister Winifred and Sister Julianne find her a place in a women's hostel. Sister Winifred is unusually tongue-tied. Meanwhile, Jeremy leaves a letter for Dorothy at her former home. Jeanette gets worse, and typhoid is confirmed as her illness. Sister Winifred discusses Dorothy's case with Sister Julianne and admits her struggles over judging her. When Dorothy tries to go back to the classroom, she's dismissed by the head who has discovered her pregnancy. Dr. Turner visits Jeanette's tenement and lets everyone know about the typhoid. Everyone must be tested to see if they also have it. Jeanette's husband, Benny, is accused since he emigrated from China. Meanwhile, Stan passes away, causing fear to spread. So let's talk about uh, Barbara and Tom first. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, like, because it's a smaller plot and we can get it out of the way, I think that, like, as we were mentioning last time, Barbara is fretting about, she feels like she needs to tell Trixie mm-hmm. in a callback to the previous episode that is... A little bit in the um, writing, but a lot in the acting that Phyllis is like, in my experience, it's the withholding of information that causes misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And that's like all about her being heartbroken. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see. It's so um, when Phyllis was first introduced, Barbara was very distraught to have her as a roommate. It was <laughs> like this old lady. I was afraid she was going to put her teeth on her bedside. And now... Look at how their friendship has blossomed. Look at how their friendship has become one of confession and one of bonding. I really like to see how this friendship has evolved. Yeah, I love Phyllis and Barbara as a pair. Uh, Agreed. It's lovely. And up until, frankly, up until like the last couple of episodes, I generally call the midwives by their first names, except for I was calling her Nurse Crane because she was very Nurse Crane. (laughs) <laughs> until until more recently when she has really become Phyllis and has softened and become so much a part of the group of of midwives in a in a in like a she's a puzzle piece that fits into yeah. this group and she isn't so out and she's well she's a different person and she like but she's there for joking around with Trixie saying you know like oh a fate worse than death and for to con- for Barbara to confide in I this this specific cast of Patsy, Trixie, Barbara, and Phyllis, I quite like the way the four of them have bonded. Yes. Agreed. And they like um she Phyllis advises Barbara to just tell. And this is where Barbara's like, I'm not sure it's even really a date. Mm-hmm. And Phyllis is like, if it wasn't a date, you wouldn't be worried about exactly, it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you would not be fretting this much. Uh, and then we also have the little moment of uh, Tom talking to Fred in not at all a contrived way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never thought I would find love again, but here I am finding it again. And on one hand, I'm like, Fred was married for 
a long time. His wife died. He was single for a long time. He married again. Is that really the same as Tom was engaged for a little bit? And then now is finding love? Like, I... I don't feel like, was Tom ever thinking, like, I've lost Trixie the love of my life and I will never love again? Yeah. You know? Like, it's a bit... I, I agree with you. I mostly agree with you, but I do feel like there is a bit of um, both thematic, but also, like, I don't think that uh, realistically Tom thought he would never find love again because he's lost the love of his life, but it still is, like... Am I ready to move on? And is it possible? Mm-hmm. Like, that's still a real thing that is clearly on his mind. Yeah. And it's, you know, give it a little bit of attention is okay. I I found this conversation a little contrived, but I was nice to see Fred and he, I think, sells it well. Yeah, exactly. He, um, I don't really have Sister Monica Joan in my recap, but she is an ever-present thing. She's eating all the jam that Fred's wife is making. Well, we <laughs> have to... I'm, like, um, skipping ahead and seeing that you don't have Sister Monica Joan in your recap at a really important part. So Yeah, we will mention We'll mention it, it the, when it comes to it. To the because device. it's important, <laughs> yes. I think. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Sister Winifred and Dor- uh, yeah. Dorothy Whitmore? So, Dorothy, we find out, first of all that the father of her baby, Jeremy, is a fellow teacher at the school who he doesn't get dismissed, of course. Yeah. Because always got to protect the man. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the um, end of your little recap when Sister Winifred goes and talks to Sister Julianne about, mm-hmm. like, I'm feeling, I'm having trouble judging. One of the things Sister Julianne says that is, like, made text uh, in Sister Julianne's mouth is that, like... The man, no doubt, did not suffer this, is not suffering this. How exactly does she put it? I don't know. But she does say, like, he's not suffering the same consequences. Mm -hmm. Or, like, Sister Winifred says, you know, she made such an error in judgment. And uh, Sister Julianne says, for which she is paying a heavy price, much heavier than the man involved, I have no doubt. Which is true. So true. No, like, he... We he's on the periphery of the episode. We mm. only kind of see hints, but like he doesn't lose his job. He doesn't. His marriage doesn't break up. No. He uh, doesn't he's... suffer any physical uh, pain as a result. Mm-hmm. He like can send her a letter to to break it off, and a lo- and like he can. Uh, she doesn't. She calls him, and he won't take the call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that like. She has literally nowhere to go. She is wandering the streets with, like, so much luggage. Like, her landlady just shoves her out with all this luggage, and she's, like, struggling to carry all of it, and finally ends up at Nanatus. It's just... Sometimes on the show, we have little uh, uh, three-line characters who are, like, the villain of the... (laughs) like. The landlady is one of these, or, like yeah. the villain of the show, and also like the villain, the villain of the episode, and also like looms in my memory as a, such a villainous character. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so she gets kicked out, and the the exchange between her and the landlady that the landlady kicks her out, and then slams the door, and then opens it again to like double shame her. Yeah. And then, like, she has paid her rent already, yeah. and she doesn't get it back, mm-hmm. and she's just out on the street with nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also, in this section, like you mentioned it, we're going way out of order now, re-talking about it, but she tries to go back to work, and she has talked to... Um, Sister Winifred has said, like, I'm not going to tell the school, I'm not going to tell private information mm-hmm. about my patients, but you will have to leave your job. Um, Which is interesting. Even if you were uh, a married woman, you'd have to leave if you got pregnant. And I'm like, at what, like... When did right, that change? As soon as you got pregnant? Like, not just, like, when you start showing or you need to be off to take care of yourself. It's like, as soon as you are pregnant, you have to be off work. That's wild. But I suppose in the kind of post-Victorian uh, a woman, a pregnant woman is not something we talk about to children. Yeah. That it might bring up questions about how she got into that state, even if she is a married woman. Well, I we think, can't have children exposed to that. I think about Anne of Green Gables and she couldn't, in, in Anne of Green Gables they can't be married and teachers. Mm-hmm. And so then here, 
you could be a married woman and a teacher, but you can't be a pregnant married woman and a teacher. Right. That, like, the, the line is moving a little, but not much. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, I, I have trouble uh, understanding the uh, rationale behind it, except, I guess, what you just said. We don't want children to think about pregnancy, except that, like, all Born children <laughs> have mothers, right? Yeah. And, like, we see on this show... Uh, so many families of like seven, eight children. So like they're seeing pregnant women all over the place. What I don't really understand the rationale. Mm-hmm. I understand the judgmental rationale of like you can't be a single, an unmarried yeah. woman and a teacher. Okay, I don't yeah. agree with it, but I get where you're coming from from your perspective. But like, why wouldn't you be able to be a pregnant married woman being a teacher? I don't even get from that like where that's coming from at all. No, not at all. It's silly. <laughs> anyway, so she. No, we, the audience, know, and she, the character, knows that, like, she, her job is uh, not long for this world, but she goes in and tries to uh, teach, and the, we have the scene of the kids all, like, hugging her and loving her and so happy to see her. She was a little late, and she gets called in and fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we all, the teachers, must be women of upstanding moral character. Yeah. Uh, and she's like... Has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the it's the landlady who has ratted on her about everything. Yeah, basically, and that's what happens to her. Uh, so Jeanette and the and Meg and the tenement. Uh, tri- pick, Patsy goes to visit Jeanette and finds that she is ill, and Patsy who. Uh, Grew up in this prisoner of war camp and her mother and sister both died of typhoid, recognizes that Jeanette has typhoid. Yeah. And it's not confirmed until a bit later, but Patsy is obviously traumatized. And man, uh, this actress is so good at portraying that, that we don't have to know. It doesn't really have to be said all that much. It does get said, but in her reaction and her like, her trying not to react. Yeah. Her trying to be there and trying to like realize that it's there's more modern medicine than what her mom and sister had and all that, but you still see that pain in her. Yeah, for sure. So. Emerald, like, Emerald Fennel, man. She's awesome. There's this like she gets uh praise from Nurse Crane and Sister Julianne later for like being a good nurse for mm-hmm. recognizing and acting quickly and doing all the right things. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's still rough. And they, um, in this, so she, uh, Jeanette is sick and pretty immediately, um, Patsy recognizes it. We don't hear what she suspects it is for a little bit, but she, but she recognizes what it is. So she knows immediately and then uh, typhoid is super contagious and super scary and deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like panic in the uh, tenement. or m- And there's a line from Dr. Turner about like, we don't want to tell anyone until it's confirmed because we don't want to cause panic because mm-hmm. this is a disease that people panic about. What do you know about typhoid? Um, there's typhoid Mary. <laughs> <laughs> who spread it I, I looked up a little bit about typhoid that it's uh, spread by like uninfected carriers a lot of the time and mm-hmm. it's just basically spread by unsymptomatic uns- carriers yeah unsymptomatic carriers uh, what do you know what did you look up just that it's like very as they say even with modern like modern medicine makes it uh easier to avoid but it still is pretty uh pretty bad Mm -hmm. to get there is vaccines nowadays for it as well and they uh that it's just like i tried to look up the what the deal is with the picking and didn't find anything because i found that really interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i did i didn't do hours of research i just kind of did a little google and didn't find out any what's up with the picking yeah um and also interesting to me is typhoid uh, 
is related is the word typhoid is related to typhus, which is a totally different disease, but typhoid means like typhus. So mm-hmm. typhus is a disease that is unrelated to typhoid, but has similar symptoms. And typhoid fever is the, like, you know that disease that's kind of like typhus, but is not typhus? It's typhoid. <laughs> that's well, literally that's <laughs> what it means. So like typhoid, typhus, different diseases, similar symptoms, but totally different. Mm-hmm. I just find yep. that really interesting. That is really interesting. Um, I love the line when Dr. Turner is saying to them, you know, good hygiene, wash your hands. And one of the women is like, this is what you have against yes. infectious disease. Wash your hands in 1961. And oh, that hit home for when COVID in 2020, when that was what they were telling people, like, wash your hands, teaching people. There was videos. There was all this stuff about how to properly wash your hands. And like, that is still, we are still humans who are, like, getting poo on. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I am not a... Uh, super paranoid about stuff. Uh, don't eat things that other people have made kind of person that I know some people are. But sometimes when I hear that, I'm just like, oh, we are all so gross as humans <laughs> that we can't like, we can't even stop ourselves from getting diseases by literally using soap and water. Yeah. And, but also even, I don't know, I'm just going to go on a tangent here that, uh, the idea of soap and water and why they work. Even my very intelligent friend at one point in the pandemic was like, well, if soap is so good, maybe we should put like a layer of, of soap in our masks to help prevent it. And I was like, no, you realize soap is not a magical barrier. It's just a scrubbing action that cleans your hands better. It's not the soap itself. It's the action of the soap and the water that is getting you clean. So even someone who I feel like the friend who said this was a very intelligent person, we lose our minds yep. when it comes to diseases and we forget logic and why things are why they, why things are the way they are. I remember like before long before COVID as a kid uh, hearing about a study that they'd done of surgeons of like what part of washing your hands makes the biggest difference that like if you took the the study was like you know, you wash your hands for a minute with hot water, hot, soapy water, and you scrub. If you take out one of those elements but leave the others, what's the biggest difference? And it's the scrubbing. If you mm-hmm. scrub dry hands with no soap and water, but you just rub them together, that does better than soap, like dipping your hands in soap. Like it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the scrubbing is what is the most important part. Mm-hmm. But not so much scrubbing that you not bleed. Not so much scrubbing that you bleed we'll or your hands. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we saw also just in terms of like cleanliness is one of the things that cause, that uh, prevents typhoid. And they talk about that in this section and they will talk about it for the rest of the episode. And like um, they, maybe we should talk about it next section. Mm-hmm. They what? also suspect uh, uh, Benny because mm-hmm. he is Chinese and there's a line earlier when the baby was born they call her Marina because her father crossed over the sea to get here and he's like I was six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like what are you talking about cross the sea? <laughs> yeah. But at that point it's like uh, haha she's so romantic my wife mm-hmm. has these stars in her eyes rom- it's about crossing the water to get to be- her. Uh, but then here when there's uh typhoid there is some talk of like it's not common in this country and one of Jeanette's cousins is like it's probably him because he's a foreigner mm-hmm. who knows what he brought with him and they and Benny does like wonder yeah if exactly. like maybe I've had it since I was a kid because I'm a foreigner yeah and Britain is cleaner than other places mm-hmm. it's like the the assumption. Yeah. I like too that um, the interracial marriage situation here, of course, cannot go uncommented on in 1960s London. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not, it's very accepted. And Meg is so accepting and sweet and like, you've d- Benny is family. You do not, you know, dis family. But of course, there's going to be comments yeah. that of some nature. Yeah. But I really like, also, I'm glad you mentioned it, Meg's uh, 
kind of short speech in that scene is mm-hmm. very great. Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, do you want to go on? Let's move on to our last recap. In the letter from Jeremy, Dorothy finds a simple note and some cash, breaking things off. Dorothy returns home and takes apart a wire coat hanger. Later, we see blood on the sink. Barbara frets over what to wear and Patsy helps her. Dorothy walks to the bus stop but collapses, bleeding heavily. Dr. Turner discovers that Meg is the carrier of typhoid fever and tells her so. She's told that she will be okay if she keeps keeps clean, but she is in great distress. Sheila takes her information for the list of typhoid carriers and lets her know she would have priority to move into a better house, the high-rises that were mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Peter Noakes shows up at Nanatis to let Sister Winifred know that Dorothy is in the hospital, having aborted her own baby and has had to have a hysterectomy. Sister Winifred cries in the chapel, feeling guilty about her judgment. Sister Julienne tells her to go and be a friend. Meg is in great distress over feeling dirty. Benny goes to the hospital to find Jeanette is recovering. Also at the hospital, Sister Winifred sits by Dorothy while she's questioned by the police. She confesses that her abortion was self-inflicted. Barbara runs out of time to tell Trixie about her date, but heads out on it anyway. Trixie and Phyllis discuss her Tuesday night outings and come to an understanding without ever saying aloud that she's in AA. Tom and Barbara arrive home and briefly hold hands, which is witnessed by Trixie. Patsy moves Meg up to a modern, clean apartment and encourages her to see Jeanette. Sister Winifred is asked to fill in for the end of the term in Dorothy's class. She tries to refuse, but is reminded of her vows. Mature Jenny narrates that Dorothy was not arrested, but still punished and left Poplar. Meg moves into a new home, but ends up inviting the whole family to visit the end. (laughs) Let's talk about Meg and Jeanette first, because we were Mm -hmm. in the middle of it, and then we stopped to... To move on, and what I was going to say last time that really comes up in this section is Dr. Turner and uh, um, Burnett's sister, and sister Burnett, goodness, and Sheila, <laughs> Dr. Turner and Sheila and uh, Patsy all are like, typhoid, you know, you can treat it with just cleanliness, and they're all so positive on it, and we see in Meg, both in her performance as they say those lines and also in her acting through the rest of the episode that like that's the opposite of reassuring to her yeah because what she hears them saying is if you had only been clean you wouldn't have gotten these people sick in the first place you dirty person and when i watched this episode for a second time because i watched it twice i noticed at the beginning of the episode when she has all these kids coming in to get their jam she washes her hands she insists that the kids wash their hands and so she has been keeping clean yeah and we have, yeah, I noticed that too. And I also noticed in that first scene that, like, she washes her hands in the sink, which then she fills with water to bring to Jeanette. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene as shot is, like, um, she is doing everything. She is following cleanliness she's following hygiene but it still is what is a potential vector of infection right there that uh i feel like the camera's judgment is not on her habits of cleanliness but on the like cramped kitchen Mm -hmm. with you know a tiny little sink she doesn't have space to put things and and the hot running water does not come from the tap but from a kettle the hot water from the kettle and so like i just feel like they show us in that beginning her washing her hands but having no space to fill a thing of water that she brings to Jeanette that is in this like so in the same place where she was washing her hands because there was nowhere else to do it because the bathroom is across the like yeah (laughs) the building or across the the grounds so like I feel like that uh really tracks Mm -hmm. and she then 
when she is obsessed with cleaning her hands, she notices that. She realizes yeah. that's, that's a problem, which does motivate her to move into the apartments. And we have this, like, her scrubbing her hands raw, uh, the hot water. She's, like, pouring boiling water over her hands to try to get them clean. And uh, Patsy has to be like, you're clean enough. You just washed your hands. Like, this isn't what we mean when mm-hmm. we say cleanliness will help you from spreading it. We don't mean you have to injure yourself and never hold your your great-granddaughter. I know. The juxtaposition between from the moment Jeanette gets sick until the moment Meg finds out that she's the carrier, she never stops holding that baby. Yeah. She is just constantly, she is the substitute mom while Jeanette is sick. And then she finds out that she's the carrier and she refuses to touch the baby. And it's heartbreaking because she's obviously like wants to and loves this baby and her new great grandchild, which side note, 64 with great grandchildren. Good gravy. (laughs) (laughs) So you talk about uh, Eloise being married with children, but how old is she meant to be? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's... Everyone's She's young. clearly a young mother, even acting aside. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Great grandmother at sixty-four. My goodness, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the yeah, the just like the way, and then when she the call back to the kid running in for a jam sandwich, and she like mm-hmm. yells at him. Yeah, poor kid. Oh, poor kid, and poor Meg. Meg. And she ends up moving into the high-rise. She started off feeling so connected to her community and the fear of moving into this high-rise is she's going to be isolated and Mm -hmm. alone and, like... Yeah. This is, like... I feel like Sheila in this episode, she's barely in it except for this scene with... uh, with Meg writing down her, you know, that she's the typhoid carrier and that they'll have to pass this on and all kinds of things. And she's just really insensitive. I, I'm surprised at this for <laughs> Sheila, that she's being uber practical and <laughs> they can move you into a new tent. And Meg, of course, is distressed by that, that like, they're going to make me move. Like, jeez, come on, yes, Sheila. You're a, a carrier <laughs> of a deadly disease and you'll be on a registry for the rest of your life in a new apartment where you don't live next to any of your family. Next! Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Agreed. I don't know. Um but yeah, she's uh Yeah. And we end with all of her family visiting in the high rise. I feel like it is uh a fine ending, but also like It's bittersweet. Bittersweet. Yeah. Because but... they're they're visiting. They don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. And she has a kind of clean, well lit, well furnished, convenient home now but it's not with all the all these people are visitors now and she's never she's only ever lived in the one place her entire life yeah that's a lot it's a lot to do to a person yeah but as patsy tells her you know typhoid can take takes a lot and it don't let it take you yes which of course is the reference to her mother and sister let's talk about barbara and tom and leave uh Dorothy to last. Yes. I love them so much. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing, like, I gotta say, as a spoiler-free podcast, when Trixie and Tom got together and got engaged and were dating, of course, I knew the whole time that they wouldn't stay together and that he would end up with Barbara and get together with her. And I love Tom and Barbara so much that it was really hard to be like, yay, Trixie and Tom. But I love Barbara and Tom because of how sweet she is yes. and how like she's way more they're way more compatible yeah they're on the same page in, yeah, in a way that like exactly. all the tension and conflict in Tom and Trixie's relationship was about them wanting different things out of life and having different worldviews that were incompatible and mostly about Trixie feeling uh Usually not verbally, but, like, feeling this pressure and judgment that, like, she Mm -hmm. should be the kind of woman that she assumes Tom wants. And the kind of woman she assumes Tom wants is Barbara. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Barbara is that person already. Yeah, exactly. The line where, like, oh, oh, Barbara, my heart. That she's, like, getting ready for the date and talking to uh, Phyllis about it and, like, getting her, her... 
dress and like Phyllis has laid out all the clothes for her to get her all ready and she's like I don't really know what to expect I haven't been on a lot of dates with men in fact this is the first one mm-hmm. just like maybe that's not great but like the disadvantage of being a vicar's daughter and Phyllis is like unless you're going on a date with a vicar yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like if your date is with a vicar then maybe your uh perspective as a vicar's daughter is an asset and not a liability mm-hmm. uh <laughs> here's the thing about i love tom and barbara so much is there some criticism for tom uh clearly wanting someone and wanting to be married and like and so he just keeps going next door to Nanatis and like if Barbara broke up with him would he try to date someone else at Nanatis like Phyllis is next (laughs) or Patsy Patsy's Um, not interested yeah I know but it's just like I do like this show and what it did but I also feel like it does a little bit of a disservice to Tom the character that like he just moves on from one midwife to the next and yes I yeah, that's that's a hard criticism that I don't like making because I love them so much. But it is a bit. It is a criticism to be to be levied upon Tom. It's a thing we see in fiction all the time that like cast members date cast members. Yes, and, like, that's exactly. So the world gets very small. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In a way that is not really true to life. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that they are, especially in this episode, they're very sweet and cute and mm-hmm. out to their Indian supper and they hold hands for a second and we flash on Trixie witnessing and frowning Mm -hmm. Uh, and how does Trixie gonna react we won't know till next episode but like Barbara never did talk to Trixie about it and Mm -hmm. as Phyllis said it's secrets that cause misunderstanding and hurt feelings if she had just talked if she'd just actually talked to Trixie it would probably be fine well it's interesting too she says like not to keep secrets and and when Patsy is there and kind of like, Patsy, you're on my side here. Secrets all bad. And Patsy yes. kind of smiles, but Patsy's got her own secret. And so she doesn't think secrets are all bad. She has to keep her and Delia's relationship a secret. Yeah, that was, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that was uh, another, like literally two seconds of the episode, but it, they felt enormous. Yeah. Those like, it's actually, <sighs> I'm like going that there was a little two seconds. I'm going to dig way too much into them. I am tempted to, but they're like secrets are bad that like Trixie. I mean, Patsy's secret here is cause is hurting her. Mm-hmm. And like, it is not boo Patsy for keeping the secret. It's like, uh, harmful that they are required to keep it a secret. Yes, exactly. But it is the secret that's causing the harm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the secret that's causing the harm, not the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So it's true that what Phyllis says, that the secrets are the problem. Right, Patsy? And Patsy's mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't have the option. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Dorothy. Yes. Let's, we saved her for last because it's the most harrowing. <laughs> uh, we've seen, like, abortion is not a topic we have shied away from on this show and on our show. This is the first we've seen of, like, the literal coat hanger abortion. Oh, it always looked sick to my stomach oh, when, I, when she picked up the coat hanger. And you knew it was going to happen. I thought maybe for a second she wasn't going to. I thought she was going to take it apart and then decide not to. And then the next thing you knew, she had. And this is why... This is once again another nail in the coffin of anti-abortion. I don't know. Or just like, like, this is what women will resort to. And it results in her almost dying and never getting to have children again because she hurt herself so much that she had to get a hysterectomy. Yeah. Which at her age is not just that she can't have children again. Hysterectomies yeah, have. Talk about that a bit. Just hysterectomies aren't just like you're removing uh, your reproductive organ. You're removing something that produces hormones that uh, affect your body, including things like bone density, right up until menopause. And so, putting someone who is like I don't know, she'd be in her twenties, yeah, Dorothy, into into early menopause is not without 
not without consequence. This is more punishment that will follow her her entire life. And that's not, yeah. doesn't mean she just can't have children, but it do, it means more medical issues. This is a thing that I'm like glad you're mentioning because it's something I certainly didn't know until recently. That yeah. We are so popularly, uh, we non-medical people and especially men uh, have conversations about like, well, uh, uterus is for babies and it is a single purpose. <laughs> it's a unitasker organ. Yeah. And if you don't want to have a baby, you don't need a uterus. And that's like... A hysterectomy is you can't have children and that is the very only thing about it. And that's just not accurate. Like, it's an internal organ that is responsible for... That is connected to full body health in other ways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we didn't know that until it became personal for members of our family and myself that mm-hmm. to find that out. And so I'm like, I, that's why I want to keep educating about it. Because I feel like even, especially men, but also women, don't realize that there are actual consequences to removal of organs surprisingly what yeah uh, <laughs> man body i'm like we talked to, it was a theme of last episode it's the theme of this whole show that like whole body body mind uh soul and uh, social are all connected to each other mm-hmm. but like this isn't uh something that the episode of call the midwife makes a big deal about but we are right now that like the uterus is not a sole purpose organ because no organ is a sole purpose organ in that includes like uh meg as an organ in the social uh dynamic of the tenements being gone is going to change everything for everyone yes Ooh, good 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 call paul i like that thank you she is the, like clearly the very heart of that tenement and involved in everyone's lives. So you can't just remove her without consequences, even if it's for a good reason. Even when it's necessary to remove her. Yeah. Oh, oh it hurts. <laughs> so like. <sighs> so uh, Peter. Peter Nanatis. Peter Nanatis. No, Peter Noakes shows up. No chummy. Chummy's gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We don't but, talk about chummy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to because she's uh, had an abortion, and that means legal consequences. It's a crime. It's a crime. So she has to be investigated by the police. And in the end, they say like that police are like the law has lost its appetite for persecuting women who do this to themselves. They want the abortionists, and so. The line is, that the voiceover says is that the, the state had lost its appetite for persecuting desperate, lonely women. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. Whew, That's a lot. Jeez. The, the, but she's still punished. Yeah. So in her interview, the line that I have to say that like stood out in such a harsh way to sister about Sister Winifred is, when your injuries re- occurred, were you alone? Completely. Yeah. Oh, Sister Winifred, that cuts her to the heart. She, um, you know, she sobbed in the chapel to Sister Julianne. She's very convicted of her own judgment, and she was very judgmental of Dorothy for her, you know, perceived that the that teachers should have like more morals or be more morally outstanding than than others. Well, and what, her, yeah. what Sister Winifred says to Sister Julianne, it was in the last section, but it's like, morally, but also like, you have this that you're risking and going to throw away, and I am judgmental of you for yeah. risking it. And then later, she has a, her perspective uh, um, kind of forcibly shifted mm-hmm. to like, you needed me, you needed a friend, you needed someone with you on your side and I wasn't willing to be that and look how much pain that has caused that mm-hmm. was my fault and we see well, we see two again like a connection between sister Winifred and Meg of like other people's pain being my fault um, but Meg's is like I didn't know I was a carrier and I blame myself for infection spreading and uh, um Sister Winifred is like, I chose to be judgmental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I am much more like 
I'm glad that Sister Winifred sees her, the error of her ways. I think we have Sister Evangelina last week feeling the error of her ways. And I think, uh, and then Sister Winifred this week, um, that we're seeing more and more of the nuns' uh, interior lives and interior struggles in this show. And I always enjoy that and seeing that they are full people and their reasoning for being nuns and their and their struggles to be nuns. And we see that then when Sister Julianne asks her, like, or tells her rather, that she's going to fill in for Miss Whitmore for her last two weeks of term. Mm-hmm. And Sister Winifred, like, flat out, like, no, I don't want to. Well, you have a vow of obedience, and so do I. So, like, the I've been told by Mother Superior to tell this to you. So, like, I even I don't necessarily want you to do this, but I I, I obey by telling you, and you obey by doing it. Yeah, and she's gonna go fill in for Dorothy, um, and that's her penance. Yep, exactly. Uh, we talked. Um, we mentioned a little bit. Of, a go sister monica joan mm-hmm. and something that comes up like she's been kind of on the periphery through the whole episode popping up and saying uh crazy things um, <laughs> but here in this section we saw earlier fred working in the garden when he was talking to tom and now we see sister monica joan working in the garden with patsy there helping her and she is planting she is preparing to plant all these uh flowers and uh um patsy's like i think that those are weeds that fred just finished pulling up and sister monica joan in a like speech that is so similar to her speech about the rats is like weeds is a weed is just a flower that someone doesn't want and she plants the dandelions back in in rows, and it is both. Like, it's a moment of like it's wacky lev- levity, but also levity, gun. wacky. Sister Monica Joan, exasperated Fred. I can't believe she is like literally planting uh, dandelions because she is senile and doesn't understand what gardening is. But it also is like about. Um, it's, I just I find it a really compelling little moment because I think that you could I didn't really even see it until right now this other reading but I'm going to give the other reading first and then I'm going to give a reading that I think is more compelling you could see it as like this is an anti-abortion statement that like the weeds have been plucked out and they should be put in and, and nurtured so they can grow You could maybe see it as that. I didn't see that until right now. I'm like, I guess that's another reading of it. I see the weeds as uh, not the baby, but uh, Dorothy, Mm -hmm. the one who's weeded out of the community and uh, sent away and punished when she needed someone to support and help her thrive. And she is... uh, you know, kicked out of her home and her job and her community, and uh, the she's the metaphorical like someone just decided to pull her up and throw her away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But she could be she could thrive if we see her as a flower instead of a weed. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um. What was your favorite part of this episode, Paul? The dandelions. <laughs> wow. Okay. I just talked I about just it. said it. Weren't you listening? <laughs> I, there were lots I liked about this episode. I think the dandelions were a favorite. I like liked uh, all the, uh, the Barbara and Tom romances very mm. made me smile and was very sweet. What was your favorite part of this episode? I think it's Barbara and Tom. It's the end of their date when they're drinking their milk and being sweet. And like, <laughs> it almost feels like they're they're going to kiss, but then they don't. Because it's still early days and they're taking things slow. And I they, like that. Instead of the like, kiss on the doorstep of their first date, there's a briefly hold hands on the doorstep of their first date. Yeah. And it's so, yeah. It's very, very sweet. 
Well, uh, if you have things to say about this episode and want to talk to us, how would you do that, Paul? You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. We are also on social, other social medias that we don't uh, aren't very active, but if you reach out to us there, we will see it. Uh, and if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. There you can support this show and everything else that uh, Clockworks Academy does. And if you want to know what that is, you can find that at clockworksacademy.com. We also have a Discord. Oh, we also have a Discord! Yes, that will be linked in the show notes to this episode. And you can talk to us about this episode of Call the Midwife, this episode of Popular Opinion, or Call the Midwife in general. And we would love to chat with you about it. And thank you very much for joining us this week. I've been Paul Moffat. And I'm Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. (laughs) 